What's the case? You've got a mom. Mom has four sons. And one of her sons are married, so she has a daughter-in-law. And her daughter-in-law has four sons. And everything's fine and dandy. Until one day, mom and daughter-in-law both go to the hospital, and they both give birth to a fifth son each. But what happens is there's a mix-up. And we don't know now who is the real mom over the fifth son for the mom and for the daughter-in-law. We don't know which son goes to which. So life goes on. This, the fifth sons that we don't know who's the real, whose mom is who, these, this, we call them the, the Ta'arubas, the mixture. They grow up. When they get married, and then they drop dead. They die without any children. So now the question is, what do we do with their wives, with their widows, as far as Yibam and Chalitza go? So says the Mishnah, here's what you do. The sons of the daughter-in-law, Cholzen, they do a Chalitza to these two widows. They don't, they don't do a Yibam. Because this, these women might be their brother's wife to do a Yibam on, but it might be their father's brother's wife. It might be their aunt, right? And if it's their aunt, you can't do Yibam with your aunt. You're not allowed to marry your aunt. So therefore, because of this doubt, they have to do a Chalitza to both of these women, and they cannot do a Yibam. But the sons of mom, what they could do is O Cholzen, O Miyabmen. Either they could do a Chalitza or a Yibam. Meaning after the sons of the daughter-in-law do a Chalitza on these women, the sons of the mom can go ahead and do a Yibam or a Chalitza. Why? Because the sons of the mom, it's a Shehu Safik, Eishas Achiv, Veishas Ben Achiv. Because these two widows are either their brother's wife to do Yibam on, or it's Eishas Ben Achiv, it's their brother's son's wife, it's their niece, and you could marry your niece. That's okay. So therefore, either they're doing Yibam with their sister-in-law, or they're just getting married to their niece after they're just getting married to their niece. So therefore, the coast will be clear for them, and that's what they can do. What about Mesu HaKshirim? Flip the case around. If the Kshirim, the Vada'im, the sons that we knew, you know, their mom was mom, and we knew that the daughter-in-law was their mom, there was no mix-up. The Vadan, the certain ones, right? They never were mixed up. What happens if they got married and they died without any children? And now their wives, their four wives, are falling now before the mixture group, before the fifth sons. So the opposite, of, the opposite, of, the opposite case from the, from the beginning of the Mishnah. Says the Mishnah, B'nei Ata'aruvos, these sons of the mixed up group, the, these fifth sons, L'b'nei Hazakena. What they do is, to the wives of the deceased uh, sons of the mom, what they would do is These the mixed up group would go and do a chalitza and not a yibam to the widows from ma, from from mom's uh, sons. Why? She was suffering because maybe they are these widows are their brother's wife. It's their sister in laws to, to to do uh, a yibam on one of them, of course. But the Aishas Achiaviv, but the other doubt is that maybe it's their father's brother's wife, maybe it's their aunt. And if it's their aunt, they can't marry their aunt. So therefore they have to do a Chalitza and not a Yibam. Whereas Ubnei Hakala, to the widows of the daughter-in-law's children, so in that scenario, Echad, one of the sons of the mixed-up group, one of the fifth sons, would go ahead and do a Chalitza first, right? 
and then ve'echel miyavim, then the other one can go ahead and do yibam. Ve'echel miyavim also can do yibam la'achar after the chalitza, because b'man of shach. If it's his brother's wife, then great, he's doing the mitzvah of yibam. But if it's not his brother's wife, so then what is it? It's his brother's son's wife. It's his niece, and your niece you can marry. So once there was a chalitza done, certainly you can go ahead and, and, and marry his niece and do a yibam because it's like a regular marriage. So that's how you play it out in this scenario based on the criteria that the Mishnah had given over. All right, Mishnah, hey, there's a long one. Kohanes, it's long but it's simple. Kohanes, you have the wife of a coin. She is Ariv Vlada Bevlad Shifchasa, but her baby got mixed up with the baby of her maidservant, right? So one of these babies now is a Kohen, because the mother was a Kohenes. But one of them will be a servant of a Kohen. So we don't know which is which. What do you do? So we go through a whole bunch of uh, different, you know, um, scenarios that come up because of this. All pretty straightforward. It's just a bunch of scenarios. So they're permitted to eat truma, because even the servant of a Kohen is permitted to eat truma. So they can both eat truma. But they divide one portion in the silo. What does this mean? So, right. so when these two um, uh, children grow up and they go to the silo to take their truma, we only give one portion of truma to them. Why? Because only one of them is a coin. So therefore, they only receive one portion even though they're two people. Right? That's simple. What the Mishnah is really coming to teach us is that we don't divide we don't give truma to them in the silo unless they come together. And when they come together, we give one portion. Why is that? We don't give it to them if they came just, you know, uh, one after the other and, this, and then give one of them a portion and not the other. Why? Because we don't give truma to a servant unless his master is there. Lest one think that maybe he's like a real Kohen, and then you'll start having your children marry to the servant, and you'll, and then you'll just destroy your, your, your children's lineage of Kahuna, right? You'll start, you'll, you'll marry off your children to this servant's, uh, daughter. Meaning, in a regular case, if a servant, if a Kohen servant comes to the silo, you don't give him truma. Why? Even if I'll bring, if, even if I'll bring it on to his master. Because then you'll start thinking that this servant is a Kohen, and you may marry your children off to this servant's children. And that would be a big no-no. So whenever you're giving uh, truma to a servant to give to his master, his master has to be there alongside with him. So therefore, certainly, um, if they're coming if they're coming separately, we won't give either of them because one of them might be the servant. But if they're coming together, then we only give one portion because when they come together, we know now that one of them has to be a servant, and we're not going to make a mistake and marry you know the servant's children. But we can only give one portion because only one of them is a coin and one of them is a servant. So basically, if they come separate, we'll look at it like a regular servant coming. We won't give them anything. They have to come together, and when they come together, one of them will receive the human portion. They cannot become defiled to a dead person. Each one is, might be the coin, and therefore we're stringent, and we don't let them become tame to dead people, to, 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 a, to an ifter. Right? This is just talking about just regular people, not, not their own relatives. Right? Just regular mason. They cannot marry women. Whether they're valid or invalid women. Meaning, regular woman is prohibited to be married to a servant. And an invalid woman, like for example, like a divorced woman, is forbidden to be married to a coin. 
So if I call Echad Yam Safek, each one is a, is a Safek, maybe you're a Kohen, maybe you're an Eved. So therefore we're stringent and they can't get married to anybody. But don't throw in the towel just there. Higdilu Ataruvas, once they grow up, then they free each other. The Gemara explains that we force them that they should free each other. Because there's no way to fix them up. Each one frees each other. So whichever one's a servant, they're being freed now. And after they're freed, so now it gets a little bit better. After they're freed, no they can get married. But as long as they get married to women that are befit to marry into a coin, meaning like they don't marry divorced women, they marry just a regular woman. Um, so that's, they can't marry, you know, a divorced woman, lest one of them be a coin, but they can certainly marry a regular woman because one of them is no longer an evidence anymore, they were freed. So they can marry a regular woman for kahuna. Um, okay. Yeah. They still cannot become tummy though to their people because one of them might be a coin. That doesn't change. But for the same token, if they did become tummy to, to uh, a mace, and in Sofkin we don't give him Malchus, the 39 lashes, because at the end, at the end of the day, he could say, maybe I'm not a coin. So he could, so he could use that to his own advantage. So he can't become tummy to, a, to, to a, a, dead, a dead person, but if he does, we won't give him the typical 39 Malchus, 39 lashes, because he could say, hey, maybe I'm not a coin. Typically, a coin who became tummy to a dead person, not a relative, but that regular dead person, it's a negative commandment, it's a lot. La nefesh lo yitama. So he gets this punishment. So here they won't get it because each one could claim that maybe he's not a coin. Ve'en and ochlan b'truma, they cannot eat truma because the Eved, once he was freed, he's like a Yisrael. And Yisrael can't eat truma, right? And therefore, since one of them is the Yisrael now, one of them is the coin, we don't know which one's which, so they both cannot eat truma. But if they did eat chuma by mistake, normally if Yisrael eats chuma by mistake, he has to pay karen v'chomesh. He has to pay the value of the chuma in the principal plus a fifth. But over here we won't institute that fee because they could say, hey, maybe I'm the going. And since they could say that, we don't pull money away from a person if it's in a case of doubt, in a case of suffolk. In motsin mamun misafik. So since it's a case of doubt, we cannot pull money from either of them to pay for this fee. Now, once they're grown up, they cannot take a portion of chuma from the silo, uh, from the silo. Even one portion itself, you can, now they can't even take one portion. Before, before the Ebed was freed, they were able to take a portion. Now they can't even take one portion. Why? Uh, even though one of them is a coin, and they're coming even together. Because we're afraid that they may come and eat it. And the Eved that was freed is like a Yisrael, he's not allowed to eat it. So therefore we don't even give them, not even one portion, even if they come together in the silo to get their truma, we won't give, we won't give it to them. Now what about for themselves, if they have their own grains? They still have to give their own truma from their own grains. So what they would do is, is their own truma, they take off from their own grains, they could sell it to the Kohanim, Esa truma, they separate from their own grains. And the money they receive for the truma they could actually keep. Why? They're not obligated to give to a coin as chumas to They don't have to give the chuma of their tivua to a coin because each one could say, hey, I'm a coin, right? So why should I have to even give it? Bring a proof that I'm not a coin. But since you, they can't eat it because maybe they're the Yisrael, so what they do is they sell it to the coin, but they could keep the money in this scenario, the value, that the, the value of the chuma. 
Mikdash, they do not divide in the Kachim of the Mikdash, meaning they don't take a portion, even in the Kachim, the, the Karbanos, that are not even edible. Meaning, let's say the skins. Can they take the skins, the leathers? No, they can't take it. Because we say to each of them, prove to us that you're really a coin. So certainly they're not going to be eating from the Karbanos, but even to take the skins, we won't let them, because they can respond, the other people in the base of Mikdash can respond, prove to us that you're a coin. And we don't give them kach, meaning karbanos lahaka. We don't give them karbanos to sacrifice. We don't take that which is theirs from their hands, meaning if they were obligated to bring a karban chatas or an ashram or an ola, we don't force them to give their kachim to the kohanim of that group, of serving in the basement of that group. Rather, they're permitted to give it to any kohan that they want in any group to have that special permission. Typically, you give gifts to a coin when you sacrifice an animal, which is the zora, the arm, the lachayim, the cheekbone, and the cave is a part of the stomach. You give it as a gift to the coin. Here, they're exempt from giving these gifts to the coin because they themselves could be a coin themselves. Ubechoro and their karbanos of this, not their karbanos, their animals that are the bechoros. Let's just say they have, you know, a flock and they have a firstborn animal. Typically, you give the firstborn to the coin. Here, Yehroah Achi you don't have to give it to the coin, because they might be he might they might be the coin, right? So what do you do with it? You let it graze until it gets a mumma blemish, okay, it gets a little wound, and then you can go ahead and shecht it and eat it. Because even a Yisrael is permitted to eat a bichar which has a blemish. So we whereas if it was a tam, if it had no blemish, you have to, you know, sacrifice it on the Mizbeach, the Hak of Emurav born its 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 fats, the Emurim, the coin of Makriva Ochan, the coin that that sacrifices it eats it. Because Shabukhar Kishutam, the Bukhar is pure and has no blemishes, Ainakal Allah Khanam is only eaten to the Kahanam. So basically they don't have to give their their firstborn animal to the coin like normal Bukhar practice. Rather, they could keep it for themselves, maybe they're the coin, and just let it graze until it has a blemish. Once it has a blemish, it's not, you know, it's not uh, roy to be sacrificed, and they could just slaughter it and eat it like the, like a regular Yisrael would. Kind of like a loophole. And then the Mishnah concludes, the notes that Allah we put on each of these people on this, you know, in the, in the mix-up group over here, Chumri Kohanim V'chumri Yisraelim, the stringencies of a coin, the stringencies of Yisrael. What is this referring to? So it more explains, this is referring to a mincha offering, right? It was like done with flour. So the mincha of Yisrael, there was nikmetzet, a kamitza was taken, like, like a portion from your fist was taken from the flour. The kumitz was brought on the mezbeach, it was burnt, and the rest of it was eaten by the kohanim, okay? That's the mincha of Yisrael, the mincha offering of Yisrael. Whereas the mincha offering of a kohen, the whole entire offering was burnt on the mezbeach. So the Mishnah is coming to teach us that if one of these kids in this mixture wants to go ahead and bring in a mincha offering, so he does a kamitza like a Yisrael, and he burns the kamitza, but the leftovers are not eaten like a Yisrael, rather the leftovers are burned on the Mizbeach as well, like a coin. So in this case, both the kamitza and the remainder of what's left over for the kamitza and the mincha offering will be burnt as well on the Mizbeach. And we'll hold it over here for Mishnah Hay.